Um, the, as has been mentioned, we've, I have to do this because that's what Russ does. <laughs> oh, it's too late. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. Russ, we admire you. Okay. But he has started a series uh, where he was talking about, I believe, help me with my unbelief. And that has also stimulated my heart in this area of what it is for me to grow in faith. How do I move on in faith and not just the faith that saved me, but the faith that saves me? And um, at the end of his message last week, he mentioned a verse, John 2.11, that Mary had brought to his attention. And I thought it was just fantastic. Jesus did certain signs... And it manifested his glory. And from that, his disciples believed in him. So using that as a sort of framework, I'd like to introduce us to some reading out of Mark chapter 1. Now, before I go on, I just want to say, we had a prophetic word this morning. And I really feel that this is setting the tone for what's going to happen during this service or more of what's going to happen in this service. We broke through in a prayer time of worship, and we praised God, and we were... Can you feel it? Um, the Holy Spirit is going to minister to people and bring healing. I already spoke to some people this morning who were saying they felt the joy of God before they even came to church. So God is doing something this morning, and we want to be in the place to receive it. And I believe God is going to do something significant during the course of this service because he's given a word to tell us to be ready. So um, if we are looking at Mark chapter 1, I think there's enough evidence from this chapter to help us with the signs that were manifesting Jesus' glory and that would help us with our belief. So if we go to Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Those 12 words would not mean much to us. It's just the introduction to a book. However, Mark is writing to the Romans. What does this phrase mean to a Roman audience who are hearing this written by Mark as he speaks to them directly? The Romans, of course, are members of the empire. They're citizens of the ruling power, conquerors in war, ruthless in their judgment and execution, and they have no respect for vanquished or enslaved. What did the term gospel mean to them? It was a term that they did use. It was a term that was in the context of when a king or an emperor was declared as the king of kings. So for them, as each of the, as the spread of the Roman Empire expanded, they would take over kingdoms and kings, and those kings would become sub-kings to the king of kings, Caesar. He was the ruler. He, was, he had the title of king of kings. A new emperor would proclaim their rule to these sub-kingdoms and lower kingdoms. This is called the gospel, and sometimes it wasn't Good news, as quite often the term is used. You know, we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, 
When the emperor was taking over kingdoms, it was not good news that was coming your way. This is called the gospel, and sometimes it's not good news. They would wage a gospel war to overtake any opposition to bring the king of kings into power in that realm. When defeated, the king of kings, the Caesar, would make a possession, or a procession rather, of the vanquished and let the Roman citizens hurl abuse, vegetables, fecal matter, anything they liked on the losing people to show that they were enslaved. They made a spectacle of them. They showed that they had lost and Rome had won and the king of kings was in power. As they came down the Apian Way, they displayed their defeated foes and, and made a spectacle of them. A runner would run ahead of this spectacle. He was a herald and a preacher. He was loaded down with riches and the spoils of war. He was from the signal corps, the, the corps that was responsible for making sure that the armies moved in the right directions. But in this occasion, he, a signalman was sent ahead to proclaim who was coming. As he gets to the city gate with the army trailing behind, he might say something like this. Citizens of Rome, let me proclaim the gospel. There is a new king in power and he has fought a battle on your behalf. Now partake of the spoils of this war you did not fight. The Romans and citizens would, of course, say, Hail Caesar. I don't know if you see a parallel here. <laughs> I declare to you today the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He fought a battle that you did not fight, and you partake in the spoils of that war. You receive all the blessings that he has fought to give you. Take them in Jesus' name. That song we sing sometimes, you didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. You brought the spoils of heaven. Heaven is reclaiming the earth. It's a lost empire. And Jesus has fought a battle and won a battle that we didn't fight. He's conquered death. He's conquered sin. He's conquered sin. Sorry, and sin. Oh, did I say sin? Did, he has conquered sickness, leprosy, de demons, principalities, powers, and all strongholds. Yeah. We pledge our loyalty to you. Amen. Colossians 2.15 says, Jesus has disarmed the principalities and powers, and he's made a spectacle of them. And we say, all hail King Jesus. This context changes our reading of the following passage in Mark because now we're talking about the entrance of a king who's getting in the face of the Romans and saying there's a new king in town. His name is Jesus. And Mark chronicles this invasion of earth by Jesus and it's a series of declarations and testimonies about his glory. And when we see that glory we will continue to let our faith grow. The first one, of course, is this verse, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
It starts with the challenge to the Romans that Jesus is the Son of God, a context that they understand because quite often an emperor would declare himself a God. We're going to come into that a little bit later. But Jesus is the Son of God. It's a direct declaration to them. Now, if we look at verses 2 through 8, it's about John and his testimony, that forerunner, the one who came before Jesus. Verse 2, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John is the forerunner who comes before Jesus, saying, Make way for the king. John is not the king. In fact, he's not even worthy to untie his sandals. And John only baptized in water. And this was so that the people would show who they were following. Jesus baptizes in the Holy Spirit, the sign of heaven, the heavenly seal, to show who is in his kingdom. The seal of the Holy Spirit. Not just an outward sign, but the mark that we're his. We're part of his kingdom. Verses 9 through 11, unlike the Caesars, Jesus was not a political leader turned God, a self-proclaimed God, but a consecrated king from heaven. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth, Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens departing and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus was washed and sanctified in the waters of baptism. He was anointed, confirmed and consecrated by the Holy Spirit as a priest. And the father testifies that Jesus is his son. The testimony isn't from his enslaved... The testimony is not from an enslaved group of people. It's from God. And the testimony is true. In verse 14 to 15, Jesus becomes the prophet of the kingdom, that the time is fulfilled to believe the gospel. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. It was a season of time in Israel's history where the awareness of the presence of God had decreased somewhat. And Jesus declares that now is the time. It's a change. And the kingdom is this close, is at hand, is at this close. 
You know, the kingdom's not far off. It's not in the heavens. It's not somewhere out there. It's this close. It's at hand's length. And he wants people to understand, don't put off your thinking about what God is doing and whether he's interested in you. He's come this close to you to speak to you. Instead of a stagnant and low expectation, make a change of mind and believe in Jesus' gospel. You know, um, I, I'm super uh, overwhelmed by some of the stuff that I've been reading lately about Jesus and his transfiguration. Uh, he, Jesus came from a reality that created earth. Sometimes we live on earth and think this is the reality, but it's not. It's a shadow of the reality. The transfiguration is where heaven opened for a moment and the reality of God came through and Peter, James and John got that unique experience of being able to see the glory of Jesus Christ come from another reality and he's come to declare that reality in this sub-reality, this shadow of reality. And he's reintroducing the Father's rule back into our world. Now Mark moves on to show that even if people are slow to concede that Jesus is the King of Kings, the demonic realm or the spiritual being realm is not slow. In verse 23 to 24, Jesus encounters an unclean spirit inside a man in the synagogue. Now there was a man in their synagogue with synagogue, not glog. That's a Dutch version because they wear clogs. There were no jokes. <laughs> oh, too many Dutchies in the audience too. Now there was a <laughs> synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, "Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God." The unclean spirit was aware of Jesus as the Holy One of God. It said, let us alone, the realm of the demonic. Leave us alone. It was a desperate plea from the demonic realm to keep their hold on people and not be subject to Jesus' authority. Leave us alone. Leave us alone. We've got control. We don't need you messing things up. Good on you, Jesus. Jesus had authority. In verse 22, he had authority in his teaching and they were astonished at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as one of the scribes. And he also had authority to command spirits to come out and leave people alone, verse 25 to 27. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be quiet and come out, come out of him. And that's a really important phrase, come out when you strike something in this, in this environment. Actually, um, when, when Michelle was uh, talking about praise, it reminded me of a time where we did a deliverance out in the foyer here, behind, out here in the, um, behind the doors. And we were praying for about half an hour and praying that this spirit would come out. But this one was buried deep and didn't want to come out and was holding on. And I remember that in here, it changed from the ministry to worship. And when the worship started playing, the spirit released. 
that unclean spirit got out. Just worship. It's just so significant, so important. So um, come out. Um, Here we are somewhere. So, um, and when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, Who is this? What new doctrine is this? For what authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So Jesus has made the claim through Mark that the people are under his kingdom, and so is the demonic realm. But then Mark moves on to show that after the spiritual world can see Jesus is the king of kings, sickness comes under Jesus' dominion and authority. Verse 30 to 31. But Simon, Simon's wife's mother, mother-in-law, lay sick with a fever and they told him about her at once. And so she came, so he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and immediately the fever left her and she served him or served them. And in verse 32 to 33, Mark's summary is Mark's summary of Jesus' authority over sickness and demon possession. At the evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then they healed many who were sick with various then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. There wasn't all, but it was many. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. So what's my point? Mark Mark is clear that the things that control people, like sickness and spiritual attacks and possessions, are all under the dominion of Jesus. Even death uh, cannot stand against the will of Jesus. If we go to Mark chapter 5, verse 22 to 23, the daughter of Jairus, and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. While he was still speaking in verse 35, so skipping ahead, while he was still speaking, some of the, some change, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James and John. Maybe they were the only ones that believed. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Little girl, I say to you, arise. I'm not saying those other words because it could mean something else the way I say it. Little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and and walked, for she was 12 years of age. They were overcome with great amazement 
but he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given to her to eat. So the big question is, Jesus has authority over um, people, demonic, sickness. It always leads us to the big question when it comes to cancer and fibromyalgia and psychosis and the other big sicknesses and spiritual conditions that overwhelm us. Is God willing and able to heal? I think Mark has outlined that he's able, but is he willing? Let's look at chapter 1, verse 40 to 42. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He didn't ask for healing, he asked for clean. Healing was included, we'll see. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Leprosy at the time was an incurable disease, which only God could cure by a divine act. The leper asked to be cleansed, not healed. Cleansing included healing and soul sickness. That is, sins that we may have committed, intentionally or otherwise. But he asked for cleansing, for a complete purge and renewal in his body. Why am I telling you this? Because Jesus is the still the same king of kings and powerful king that he was then and he is now. His, his authority is multi-generational and it is unending. So to help us with our faith, Jesus has given us authority to use his authority. That helps our faith. Someone once said, how do you know if I've got authority? You use it. Okay? Now, all those people who said amen, just hold that thought. Because <laughs> I'm going to use your amen. Jesus gave us the command in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, that he has authority in all the earth. Therefore, as disciple makers, we use his authority. He also said in Matthew 10, 8, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. We are going to pray. Um, before we do, just two short testimonies. Uh, the other week, Fiona, my wife, had a headache. She got up in the middle of the night. She'd been having this ongoing headache for a number of days. She got up to take more pills. Um, when she came back, I put my hand on her and I prayed for that headache to be taken away and the kingdom's power to come into her body and change what was happening to cause that headache. Next morning she got up, she was fine. So was it the medication? I don't know. But she'd been taking medication and hadn't been working. So I gave it a go. I actually asked for the healing of Jesus to come into her body. I've got a four-page testimony here from a lady called Jennifer who I won't read. I'm not going to read it. 
But on Easter Sunday, I went up for prayer and healing. I had fibromyalgia and chronic daily migraines that were so severe, I was taking 10 or more pills a day and giving myself injections at home. On top of this, I was also receiving 30 Botox injections in the head every 12 weeks and 31 nerve block injections in the head. Despite of all this, I was still sick from the severe pain I was in. I was losing weight and some days couldn't eat at all because of the pain and the nausea and the weight loss. This goes on to talk about how she came to complete healing. And what, during the course of this testament, it talks about the connection between healing and trauma, spiritual doorways, living with pain long term. Big names and disease can be healed. As a friend of mine who moves in this area says, if you can name it, Jesus can heal it. If you can name it, Jesus can heal it. The Holy Spirit is the revealer and does the diagnosis of what we are to do. So when we, I'm not going to try and give you methodology today, but I am saying that the Holy Spirit is able to give the diagnosis so that we can pray with Jesus' authority. Um, sometimes big name diseases and bondages take time in prayer. I talked before about a half an hour with this person out in the foyer, but sometimes it can take hours. Um, so when we come forward for prayer, sometimes we only, are only here for a few minutes, but I suspect that there are some things that may take longer. And if you've been beset with a big problem, then we may need to pray a lot longer into it. Um, it's, a, it's a bit like Job. Our bodies become a battlefield between God and Satan because God came to rescue us from the devil's abuse. We suffer abuse from the devil and God has come to rescue us from that. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to create four groups of people here this morning. If you're in pain or if you're sick and you would like healing and you have faith that if you um, that God wants to heal, sometimes God does it against people's wills, that's fine too. But if you'd like prayer, we're going to invite you to be part of coming forward. Um, before, at the prayer time, I asked, uh, if those who are praying, if there was any words they received during the service about anything specific that they felt that God wanted to heal today. Has anybody got anything? Yes? Do you want to say it? So I just felt um, today that if um, there might be some people here struggling with repeated thought patterns and you've been trying to break that pattern, and you're finding it, it leads you into a repeated um, behavioural pattern. Um, and I just believe, I saw actually a picture of Jesus dismantling blocks and then rebuilding in his kingdom order. So, um, yeah, that's, if that's you, then that's great. we'll pray for that. Yes, Cathy? It's been during the week that I felt the Lord um, had something for me, which I believe is also for you as well, and that's disappointments. 
but not just like short-term disappointments, disappointments that have been over the course of your whole life. Uh, it might be with relationships. It might be in, in businesses. Um, so, yeah, I just felt that that, that was connected with um, a loss of joy and um, even sickness. Um, I've been asking God for the last few days in preparation, is there anything anything you want to show me that might be in the church? And all morning I've had this pain in my heart. So there's something to do with heart pain. I'm not sure whether that's physical or emotional, but I, I, I felt it's gone now, so I know that it was just a sign. So I'm not having a heart attack. <laughs> so that's, that's the first group, the people who would like to have prayer. The second group is people who have never prayed for anybody for healing before. I would like you to be the people who pray. Okay? Because it's not about the elders and it's not about anything. It's actually about what Jesus will do. And he will use someone who has never prayed for anyone for sickness before. So I'm going to call for you in a moment. But don't be embarrassed. Don't be, um, oh, what could go wrong? What's the worst that could go wrong? (coughs) Nothing. They're not going to get any worse. (laughs) Right? You're going to pray. And we might be amazed at what God does today. Okay? The third group is, a couple of weeks ago I was speaking out of Psalm 24 and I asked for a group of people to come up and have prayer with Russ and Mary about their desire to be committed to praying and seeking the next generation that they would, um, that there would be breakthrough, which was a word that Michelle used in her introduction. I'm going to ask for you to be involved in praying as well. And then... There's the rest of you, that's group four, but you're not off the hook because I'm, I'm asking you to extend your faith towards those who are coming for prayer. So the first group I want to call up is those who have never prayed for someone for sickness before. Can you, can you come forward? <laughs> 